much earlier would you have gotten into backpacking or climbing or skiing or canoeing if you'd been able to borrow the equipment you needed from a gear library for free? Gear libraries have been popping up in communities across North America for a few years now, creating opportunities for people to get outside and go on potentially life-changing adventures. At the same time, a growing number of organizations is working to make the outdoor community safer, more welcoming, and more representative of Black, Indigenous, people of color, queer, disabled, and otherwise underrepresented folks. In Guelph, Ontario, the BIPOC Outdoor Gear Library is doing both by making gear available for free to people who identify as Black, Indigenous, or people of color. For this episode, I'm joined by Dion D. Daly, Lauren Burroughs and Caroline Rogers, the three avid outdoor adventurers who launched the Gear Library. Among other things, they share their perspectives as racialized women in a white and male-dominated industry. They talk about what inspires them, what it takes to get a Gear Library off the ground and how the library works, who can use it and what they hope the library will achieve. Dee, Lauren, and Caroline also put their combined outdoor adventure gear expertise together for a segment on how to affordably and sustainably stock your gear closet, how to get the most out of your gear, and tips and tricks for maintaining and repairing your gear on the go. We actually spent two hours talking, so I've decided to save that second segment for the next episode of Catch Me Outside. If you want to help support the BIPOC Outdoor Gear Library, check out their website, BIPOCOutdoorGearLibrary.com. That's B-I-P-O-C OutdoorGearLibrary.com to make a donation or to learn about volunteer opportunities. And if you're enjoying this show, please continue to rate, review, subscribe, and spread the word. I'm Megan Delaire. This is Catch Me Outside. And without further delay, let's get to it. I don't know. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much to the three of you for for working with me to to coordinate a time to come on the show and and just for I don't know for talking to me and for being on the show. I'm really excited to talk to you. I'm excited too. Yay! And congratulations on. I'll have to get you to sort of clarify. I know that um, you recently announced that you're you're sort of officially open. So uh, does that just does that mean that people can officially now borrow gear? That's right. Yeah, that's ah. exactly it. Right now, people can log online to our website and actually loan out gear through the website. So that okay. just happened this this past week. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great. And th- this is D. And then we've also got Caroline and Lauren on the call. And um, can everyone just sort of explain what your what your role with um, BIPOC Outdoor Gear Library is, or your role in in you know running or founding the organization? Yeah, how about I start? Sure. Um, <laughs> sure. So, yes, my name's Dee Dion, um, Dee for short. Uh, the BIPOC Outdoor Gear Library was sort of something that I had started just about a year ago now uh, as a small idea when connecting with a friend who wanted to go camping and didn't have all the gear. And I thought, well, you know, I have gear, I could lend you gear, but I'm sure other people are probably in that same boat too. Um, So kind of put the word out just to see if there was anyone else who was looking to offload old gear or, you know, they'd done some upgrades recently and got a lot of response from the community uh, in terms of donations and it kind of took off from there. Um, 
and that's when I thought, you know, this might be bigger than I'm thinking it is. (laughs) Uh, Maybe I need to get some other folks on board here to give me a hand. And that's when I brought Karen Lauren on board. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's a good segue because Dee and I actually, Dee and I have worked together in the past. We worked together at the Portage store many years ago in Algonquin Park. And I saw her post on Instagram and thought, wow, what a cool idea. I think, I think that's a, a really neat thing. And and a good way to share gear, which is kind of always an issue. And so I, I, we met up D last summer and um, I have a background. I worked for a lot of environmental NGOs in my past. And so I pitched that I thought maybe we should make it a not-for-profit and, and see if we could really turn this into an organization and a bigger a bigger initiative. Um, so we started working together last summer is my, my recollection on that. Yeah, I think so. And, oh, wow. and figured out everything that's needed for a not-for-profit means that oh, yeah. we need more <laughs> members too. <laughs> and that's when Lauren came on board. Yeah. Uh, so hi folks. My name is Lauren. My pronouns are she, her. Um, and I had originally met Dee uh, through friends who were camping and paddling and so had enjoyed some outdoor time together. Um, and I work as an anti-oppression, anti-racism educator and community organizer um, who provides sort of support education and advocacy uh, for youth from historically oppressed communities. And so um, when Dee sort of came forward with this awesome idea and asked if I was interested to participate, it kind of blended my passion for spending time in the outdoors and also my passion for doing anti-racism, anti-oppression work. So I joined uh, late last year. Um, Yeah, onto the team. That's really awesome. So you've been working, I guess, sort of full steam ahead on this since last summer? Yeah, that's last summer was when, you know, the ideas had formed when we started to put the call out for donations and they came in fast and furious and all into my basement, might I add. (laughs) So (laughs) my basement was filling up um, quite a bit and we thought, well, I think we need to start to expand a little bit and make this more legitimized in some way. And that's when we got connected with a local organization here in Guelph called The Seed. They've got a massive warehouse location and they were kind enough to lend out some space so that we could start to organize everything that we were getting in from the community and kind of create that um, that one checkpoint, which is pretty accessible to the downtown Guelph area where people can come pick up, drop off and do that sort of thing with the library. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's so cool. And then you just opened, I guess you've, you, were you waiting to, um, have your gear closet fully stocked or get, get some of your, your paperwork, you know, all taken care of, um, before opening on the front end? Yeah, it was, I'm, I think it was a bit of a a combination of all three. (laughs) There's some administrative steps that needed to be taken to sort of get our ducks in a row in terms of, you know, incorporation and setting up insurance and creating waivers and those sorts of back end things that needed to be done before we could properly launch the lending service. Right. Um, And, you know, fill the closet as you, as you put it, but it's also about, um, you know, getting our website up and running and, and all of those pieces as well. So I think now a lot of those decks are in a row and, um, so thrilled to have the lending piece be open. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it really, I guess I didn't realize how much 
um, work has to go on, you know, in the in the background um, before something like, you know, a gear, a lending, gear lending library can launch. Like there's, you really have to be organized to, to make something like this happen. More than we thought. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and, and what's good though, Megan, is that there are, there are kind of blueprints out there, faint blueprints out there from other lending libraries that exist because the lending economy has been around for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Actually in Guelph, there is a tool library that a lot of local folks will make use of. And they uh, connected us with the people that actually organize all of their online inventory called my turn um and that was something that we could adopt so there's a lot more going on in the back end like you said but we had some help along the way and folks who were really willing to uh, give us some advice here and there too oh absolutely yeah we've really relied just to build on what Dee was saying we've really Mm -hmm. relied on a lot of folks who have come before and they've been so gracious in sharing their learnings about how they set up their organization, like everything from that to, as Dee was saying, how their websites are constructed and how, what's sop- what software they use. And, you know, they've shared examples of their paperwork, et cetera, so that we could um, take it and learn from it and, and adapt it to our own purposes. Yeah, that's, that's so awesome. And I mean, like, that's where community really shines is like when people can share their their expertise or yeah their yeah just their knowledge of something to to help help other people get things off the ground like this lending library so that's awesome um and so what is sort of the the mission I guess of of your library like I know do you explained sort of what the the catalyst was for starting it but what do you hope to achieve um for, for the community and yeah, just in general through, through running this BIPOC outdoor gear library? You know, I think the, the biggest thing here was we were trying to get at reducing at least one of the many barriers that might exist for certain communities to access nature and to feel comfortable in nature. Um, gear is, is a big expense. Um, sometimes you don't know what you need, how to use the equipment. Um, and having been in the outdoor world for quite some time myself and having the privilege to, to have access to that, um, I always had the option to loan or borrow gear from friends, from neighbors, from other people who did outdoor activities. And if you're not surrounded by that and you don't have that available to you, um, it could mean that you're limited or feel intimidated by what it all could take to get outside and go hiking, go camping, do a fishing trip, um, go cross-country skiing even. Um, So that was sort of the initial thought behind it. Yeah, and I'll just add that um, that was a really great explanation. And I think, um, you know, for, for folks who have existed in outdoor activity spaces, particularly BIPOC folks, Uh, for many years, they were the only ones on those camping trips or in those um, situations or those classes, etc. And, uh, you know, as, as things change, and um, communities become more diverse, and they're able to start exploring outdoor activities, we really want to support that 
Um, yep. And in addition to access to gear, one of the things I've realized is that the other major piece of my education that allowed me to do the activities that I wanted to do was the the skill building. So not only was I able to borrow equipment, but I had folks around me who could show me a better way to, you know, create a fire or set up a tent or store gear or, you know, any of the thousands of specialized skills that sometimes come with some of these outdoor activities. Yeah. And so I really had the benefit of that learning. And, you know, there's a recognition that in in addition to being able to access gear, having somebody to give you some of those tips really sets you up uh, to have a better experience. Right. So it sounds um, like it's it's a combination of community building, um, skill building, removing you know some barriers to access for for Black, Indigenous, and and people of color, uh, just just all wrapped up into a really really cool lending library model. I mean, that's an oversimplification for sure, but. (laughs) Yeah, I also think uh, that we really want to contribute to folks that are doing like justice seeking work more broadly, uh, because there are lots of reasons why um, BIPOC communities have not had access to outdoor spaces or have been historically disenfranchised from um, accessing outdoor spaces, like legislating, preventing racialized people from public access or environmental racism that makes accessing outdoor space Um, inaccessible or a lack of intergenerational knowledge because of migration or violence like the 60s scoop or the ways in which there is uh, intergenerational poverty or financial precarity um, or the lack of voice and underrepresentation of of racialized people in like outdoor expertise. And so I think that um, we really hope to encourage folks like confidence and capacity and community to um, engage in justice seeking like outside of the conversation of of outdoor space as well um, and just like improve the quality of life and the strength of our community more broadly. It's really awesome. There's yeah, so much you're doing. And so do you also sort of like um, work with or, or promote other groups and organizations and individuals who are working on, on this justice work? You know, I, I'd say, you know, without having gotten into some um, solid partnerships just mm-hmm. yet, we are always connecting with learning from and supporting other organizations and individuals that are doing, you know, that have the same, a similar mission right. around reducing barriers and kind of creating justice within these spaces. So there, and, you know, Caroline mentioned it before, there are so many that have come before us, whether it be the lending library model itself or um, uh, helping to create access in these spaces. So we owe it to them and just wanted to do something that was localized here that hopefully, you know, has the legs to maybe um, expand more broadly across Ontario and or Canada. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's really great. And also, sorry, I want to, I guess, clarify when I sort of like riff back or whatever, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm or like I I hope I don't come across as like white splaining <laughs> like racial justice and, and that kind of work. I'm more just trying to like articulate that I'm understanding or I'm getting your drift or or whatever by kind of repeating back what I understand to be what you're saying. I hope I hope that's um clear because I would never want to try to like 
explain <laughs> any of this justice work from the perspective of a, a white person. So, yeah, I just want to get I just want to get that out of the way. Yeah, no, I honestly, I think, number one, I think that's an effective tool in terms of active listening. And then number two, um, I think that saying things more than one way can be a great way for folks to understand. Um, so I think, yeah, it makes sense okay. to me. Awesome. Good. <laughs> Good. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, so, so what is, what is the model of the BIPOC outdoor gear library? How does it work for somebody who's never used a lending library or, or this particular library? Um, what's sort of like the, the user experience sort of, I guess, from beginning to end? Yeah. So, um, you know, actually we just, put a post up around our website and Lauren did a great job at really breaking it down in terms of the steps of the process, but it really is pretty simple. <laughs> um, we've got a, a sort of our main website, which is a great resource generally. Um, we plan to have lots of educational pieces up there, talk about events that we're running, um, also indicate things that we might be looking for in terms of a wish list, list of items for, for the lending library. But for those who are looking to borrow or lend, they are going in. There's a big, big button that says <laughs> borrow gear. Um, and that takes them to this external site called My Turn. I would sort of mentioned it before. Uh, it's just our way of organizing all the pictures and um, information around each of the items that we have available. They sign up to make an account, which is free currently. Um, so there's no cost to do so. And then they scan through the items that we've got, pick whatever it is that they might need, and a reservation date. So we are kind of only open for pickups and drop-offs on certain days of the week, just because, you know, we, we kind of indicated that we all also have full-time jobs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, trying to kind of be reasonable in terms of how uh, available we are, but um, it really is as simple as as clicking the dates that you need the items item or items for um, making that reservation and then coming to our location to pick up and then dropping off when you're done with it and we are the whole system will send reminders and all sorts of things so it really helps us along the way and then I think I saw rentals are for seven days yeah, yeah in, initially for seven days right care okay. and then we've got an option to extend it if they need, um, but we're trying to kind of limit so that people aren't taking a tent out for the entire summer months or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's fair. Oh, sorry, somebody was going to speak up. Uh, I was just going to say that uh, you're absolutely right. It's seven days to begin with, with the option to extend for another seven days. Um, but to Dee's point, we're just trying to keep as much gear available so that as many people can use it as possible while still allowing people to have really cool adventures with it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that strikes a good balance. You know, if somebody uh, specifically needs gear for, you know, two weeks to do like a section hike of the GDT or something like that, then, you know, they can ask for that extension and you don't have to worry about them kind of hoarding something all summer. Um, so, exactly. Yeah. And um, just to be, you know, clear for, for everybody listening to this episode, the library is um, available specifically to, to BIPOC folks, right? Black, Indigenous, and people of color. 
That's true. Yeah, that's what we're encouraging anyway. We're not necessarily going to be, this is based on self-identification of being Black, Indigenous, or person of color and feeling like this resource is for them. Right. Okay. So yeah, I guess like without um, necessarily like uh, policing people's identity. Um, Oh yes, Lauren. Yeah. I was going to say a lot of folks have had questions about why it is a BIPOC library. Yes. Um, And we just um, really want to affirm that we understand that folks experience barriers around accessing outdoor gear uh, across many different identities um, Mm -hmm. and experiences. Uh, But we are particularly looking to create an affinity space and respond to folks who have been structurally excluded to outdoor access based on race. Um, and so, um, having these like affinity spaces, so like BIPOC specific spaces is a, is a commonly used tool in racial justice work and equity work. And, um, uh, we really are focusing on the BIPOC community, but want to also identify that we know that lots of folks have relationships with people who are racialized. So folks might be a parent to a racialized person or a caregiver or, um, someone who is like, you know working to bring more racialized folks into outdoor experience. And so we also want to support those folks as well. Um, but yeah, it is around self-identification, but we are very open to to supporting um, many different experiences. That's great. I mean, it yeah, it sounds like you've got your bases covered for sure. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, on the point of, um, you know, people who are well, white people and people who are not black, indigenous, or or people of color. Um, how are there are there other options for people to get involved if they want to somehow? I mean, either through I guess donating or or volunteering or supporting. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So maybe I'll take the first stab and have others join in. Sure. I think um, for one thing. Uh, there will be access, the ability to access some of the resources uh, for sort of everyone in the community. So um, accessing the informational resources, for example, that will be on our website or appear in our social media. Um, those are those are free for everyone and uh, designed to sort of build capacity within the community for some of these great, <clears throat> pardon me, outdoor activities. Um, beyond that, in ways that you can get involved in the BIPOC Outdoor Gear Library uh, abound. We need volunteers for sort of everything from inventorying to, you know, thinking about uh, events and event coordination. There's um, a lot of, of work involved and, you know, shout out to everyone who's in our communities who has already helped us along the ways and that's been everything from sort of donating gear as you mentioned Megan um, there's a real push at the beginning to sort of stock our closet and make sure that we've got uh, the right gear to support lots of different types of activities so so far lots of folks in our communities have come out and donated gear and some have donated time in order to Mm -hmm. inventory that gear and make sure it's all listed and um, pictures are taken so that we can lend it out do safety checks on it to make sure it's uh, safe and ready to use those types of things. Okay. That's, that's awesome. So yeah, lots of, lots of opportunities for people to get involved and to help out and, and, and support the BIPOC outdoor gear library. Absolutely. Yeah. And welcomed. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> 
it's always nice. It's always good to feel welcome, wh- whoever you are and whatever the situation. Lauren? Yeah, I also want to say that folks can do this uh, this type of like care work outside of the library. Mm-hmm. Um, like invite your Black friend camping this summer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And like share the knowledge and skills and resources that you have um, with folks in community, uh, especially if they've said that they don't have uh, access to those to those skills or that knowledge or um, that gear. So I remember one of our mutual friends, the first time I met them, they had a, a paddling trip coming up and I was like, oh, I'd love to go canoeing. And they were like, oh, you can borrow my canoe. And I was like, no, I meant with you, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when we went on our first trip, I learned so much. And so, yeah, just like spending more time. In That's a great example, Lauren invite your black friends out, but also just have the conversations. Um, I think it was really interesting. One of the volunteers that we had, um, their partner was a person of color and it opened up a chance for them to talk about their experiences being in outdoor spaces as a person of color that they had never had before. (laughs) And when you start to kind of appreciate someone else's experience and what it's like for them to be in something, uh, you know, in a place where maybe you take for granted, that you feel a sense of belonging and safety and comfort. Um, It just, it means that there's more people who understand why something like the BIPOC Outdoor Gear Library needs to be, needs, needs to be there as a resource, you know? I think it was, you know, Lauren brought up that folks had questions about, you know, why is this um, lending library available specifically to to, you know, BIPOC communities? So I guess it, it just sort of opens the door to like, what has the reception been like as you've worked on, you know, getting the word out about the library? Um, yeah very positive. Um, Yeah. I mean, we get messages every day of people saying, thank you for making this type of a resource available um, and seeing the need in it. And certainly for those who don't identify as BIPOC, they've appreciated the opportunity to kind of really sit with the uncomfortability of why a resource like this might need to exist. Um, not to say though that we don't get some negative reaction, and yeah. that's primarily from uh, white people who mm-hmm. feel like they are not maybe understanding what the purpose of a resource like this would be, and that's where we go back to Lauren's explanation uh, around kind of the the importance of that. So, yeah, I I think generally the the response has been really positive, and especially for those in the local community of Guelph. Um, they're really excited. And even since we've, uh, we've launched the website and even before that, actually, (laughs) lots of people were already reaching out saying, Hey, I've got this trip coming up, or I think I want to try this. Is there any way you can lend me some binoculars or a tent or an extra sleeping pad, a cook set, whatever the case might be. Yay. Yeah. I think maybe I'll just add that, you know, I echo that I've found the reception in general to be so positive and uh, a bit inspiring, like the number of people who have reached out to say, this is exactly the kind of community I want and need, and I'm so happy it's here, is something that um, really makes me happy. I I love uh, these kinds of activities 
don't tend to be done alone. You certainly can. You certainly can hike alone, but it's awesome to hike with others. And so I think the community building for me has been one of the most exciting parts about this. Yeah. Um, And then I've also found that I've been so amazed by how so many folks in my own network have been willing to sort of drop everything to help out in whatever way they can. And whether that looks like, you know, the donating or the providing of advice or delivering donations, you know, whatever that's looked like, everyone sort of stopped and and turned around and said, how can we help? And it sparked, to Dee's point, it sparked a lot of conversations about, well, why why is this needed? Tell me more about that. And I think that the more conversations those have, sorry, that are had in that mm-hmm. manner, um, in every friend group, in every community, the better. Um, because I think it it ultimately goes towards creating that more inclusive space that everyone feels comfortable using and that everyone can adventure as they wish to. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think to, to your point about like, I guess just prompting those those conversations, which can be uncomfortable and awkward and and kind of stumbling for white people who just like don't even know how to talk about it like yeah I think that's really important um yeah for sure I mean I think for me it was really made clear um through an early conversation I had with a friend who was just communicating that you know they were under the impression that it was free for for everyone you know accessing the environment particularly we were chatting about sort of backpacking and canoe camping canoe tripping and they were saying well you know anyone can book a a site in any of our provincial or national parks there's no limit on that mm. there's no so so what barriers are you talking about how is how are certain communities being excluded from using or participating in these activities? Yeah. And that sparked a whole conversation about, well, you know, it's, it's everything from access to gear to, you know, there are um, high school programs that used to, I think they're becoming fewer and far between, but um, that used to take kids out on camping trips um, in high school. And those aren't, available in inner city schools and then you know they're only available in some parts of the province and so everything from developing an interest in these types of activities to having access to the gear to do the activity and the knowledge and skills to uh, do each of the parts of the activity uh, for lack of a better word you know the skills required to set up tents and know how to treat water and uh, cook over fire and all those things are pieces that not everybody has access to and aren't promoted as equally in each uh, culture or group, community group. So there are barriers and there are access points that are differently felt by different groups in our, in our society. Yeah. Yeah. Like systemically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see that Dee and Lauren have their, their hands up. <laughs> Dee just unmuted, so. <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll go. And Lauren, Lauren, feel free to jump in afterwards. I think the other thing, too, that in those types of conversations like Caroline had with their friend, um, you you don't always, 
appreciate what it means to also feel kind of welcome and not to feel intimidated and all these other things that might come with it, but particularly feeling welcome. Here mentioned that we met while in Algonquin Park. We would do quite a number of backcountry trips in our on our days off. And, in, you know, it was obviously something that was quite familiar to me, something I had skill in at that point, thankfully. Um, but the number of people that would kind of question my presence and wonder why I was there or that well-intended person that, you know, thought to offer me help in something that, you know, I know quite well <laughs> already. Um you know, it's stuff like that. We were just like, am I not welcome here? Is there a reason why you think that I shouldn't be here just because of the way that I look? Um, or you're making some assumption around my skill level because of that. Um, so there's there's things that are also maybe not as obvious in, in why we don't see more people of color accessing nature. Um, because if you made the argument saying, oh, well, it's free for everyone, anyone can book a site, then the question is, well, then why are they, you know, mainly um, white people who are taking up these spaces? What is that about? And why aren't you questioning that? <laughs> yeah, that's such a good question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, such a good follow up to that, that whole argument or that question. And I see Lauren, Lauren's unmuted now. Yeah, and I would say that that representation um becomes smaller and smaller for those who live at more intersections who are like queer and trans and folks who are religious minorities and folks with bigger bodies. And there are lots of ways in which there are like layered barriers for people of color in terms of accessing outdoor spaces or being underrepresented in outdoor spaces. And I think like when I was growing up, I really loved watching documentaries about outdoor spaces and some of the more extreme sports like hella skiing or ice climbing, winter surfing, like yacht racing. And it, I never saw anyone who looked like me. Yeah. It was always all these white dudes who were doing these like super rad things. And I think the conversation around diversity over the last, I would say like, I don't know, 20 years has really focused a lot on gender and not a lot on race. And that's only mm -hmm. starting to shift now. So I'm also really inspired to see the ways in which we can push ourselves into those more like, um, yeah, those like really more wild spaces of doing really cool outdoor things. Um, and like I'm inspired myself to try things that I've never tried before. So I'm really hoping that folks that access the library, like it might start off with, you know, just going on a hike and it might end up that they're, you know, jumping out of a helicopter. Yes. <laughs> and Lauren is like on a mission right now. I love it. Lauren, what's your little like phrase that you keep using? Like she's tr going to try all the things that the white dudes have taken up space on <laughs> and is going to, somehow conquer them all <laughs> uh, yeah I'm having a little bit of a white boy summer so I'm trying like yes. sailing and golfing, and I'm trying to do all these things that um have been um the majority of the population that do them are folks that have access to a lot of wealth um and generally are white and generally are men um and so I've been trying to have access to these spaces and do it in ways that are affordable and exciting to me uh to see if like I love them because yeah I think that we should all be able to try you know <laughs> At least try. Oh, yes. That's our passion. Yes. I want to overhear somebody um, at a at a restaurant or a bar talking about the the beautiful golf course at the resort outside of town who isn't a 60-year-old white man. Um, well, not to be ageist, but, you know, like, who isn't, who isn't a white dude? Uh, so, yeah, 
That's great. <laughs> yeah. And to like think about doing things differently, because I also think some of the conversation that we have with folks too is about like leave no trace and what it means to do these things accessibly. Mm-hmm. And like golf, for example, is a really challenging sport because it's also um, so environmentally damaging <laughs> at yeah. the same time. And so mm-hmm. to racialize people to get into this conversation around golfing, like, yeah, like learn golfing as a skill, as an activity, as a way to get outdoors, as a form of exercise, as a form of community, but also let's have the conversations about like what that means for water use and what that means for land use and how we can start to think about um, engaging outdoors in ways that are both like reclaiming our outdoor abilities and also are like really accountable and justice oriented, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really excellent point. And and so um, yeah, like you've mentioned a few a few of the activities that you stock gear for, but what what is sort of the range? What are the different types of activities people can come to the library um, to find gear for? We've got so many things in this library, <laughs> and I'm sitting in the warehouse now, so I'm looking around, going, "All right, let's list them all." <laughs> you know, the in- initial intent because of you know my background and and uh, Caroline and Lauren's background is was to kind of focus on hiking, camping, that kind of stuff. But we've really expanded the types of gear that's available in the library to fishing, to, you know, winter sports like snowshoeing and cross-country skiing. We've got hiking poles, hiking boots, um, uh, reference books and binoculars, you know, if people want to get out and maybe start birding or foraging or doing something like that. Um, we've got, what else? Oh, we've got like water, water gear. So that's another thing. We're actually hosting a water sports drive today where we're collecting canoes, kayaks, stand up paddle boards, um, PFDs, paddles, that kind of thing. So really just trying to continue to encourage outdoor recreation as much as possible, not so much sports like basketballs and soccer balls and things like that just trying to get people um what they need to engage in that those type of recreational activities yeah yeah and i see lauren's got uh her hand up too I actually just forgot to put my hand down. I'm so sorry. Oh. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, that's that's really awesome. Yeah. So there's like, yeah, I took a look. I, I signed up just f- to be able to access the inven- like the, the the front end sort of inventory. And um, does my microphone sound really loud all of a sudden? No. No. Nope. Okay. Um, yeah. And and there's like a whole range of 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 uh, of things there. So that's really cool. And so um, so you're located in you know, the city known as Guelph. And uh, is is that your catchment area or how big is your catchment area? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, don't, we don't really have bounds, right, Kara? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just laughing because we actually, um, we talked a bit about this yesterday because, no, we haven't really laid out any bounds. Uh, so far, it's really been about, you know, our warehouse yeah. is in Guelph. And so... If you can get to it for pickup and drop off, you're welcome at this point. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, yeah. And then, I mean, I guess like anyone who's coming from another part of the province to maybe check out some rafting or 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 do some hiking along like the, I don't know, the Bruce Trail or or something like that, you know, can can stop by and, and pick up gear as long as they can return it before they go back to their part of the province. 
Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we want to, we recognize that transportation is often also a very large barrier that exists right. for, for people to access certain, certain types of nature activities. Obviously you can connect with nature wherever you are. Um, but in terms of the recreational activities, like we're talking about, oftentimes you need to be able to get out of the city and, and make that, make that trip. Yeah. So and fully appreciating that there are some barriers. Otherwise, you know, if you are able to get to us, then there's no reason why you can't rent the gear and or participate in the events that we have going on. We just did a paddle event where people were coming from Burlington, Mississauga, uh, Brampton, um, and they came out to Guelph to join us, which was really wonderful. Oh, that's so awesome. So, yeah, you have events, too. Like, what's the frequency of those? Um not a lot yet yeah. again like we're still trying to kind of get up and running and also sort out all the logistics that um that exist around around those as well but like Caroline had mentioned before because we are about also trying to kind of improve skills and and you know just maybe even just introduce someone to an activity for their first time when and where we can, we will be putting on events in partnership with other organizations that can offer it. And so, uh, yeah, the one that we held yesterday was uh, part of the Two Rivers Festival in Guelph. And we partnered with the Speed River Paddling Company, which they have a rental um, rental organization right along the Aramosa River in Guelph. And they gave us all the canoes and paddles and PFDs to allow us to take a really great group of people out there was laughter the whole way through um, and we can't wait to put on more events like that, whether it be hiking, we've got um, conversations around a rock climbing event. Um, we want to take a big group up to the uh, Tobermory, area, Tobermory area if we can. Oh, nice. So yeah, yeah. What, when we can, we will. <laughs> That's Just so awesome. That happen. Yeah. And, and like, I feel like it, you're, you're, locally based but then you're on Instagram and you've got this like really wonderful Instagram feed where you're you know you're posting your Tuesday tips every week that are really like universally um interesting and helpful you know re regardless of where people are so yeah I feel like you've, you've sort of got this like kind of hybrid thing where you know you're able to reach people all across the country uh, on Instagram and you know like you're sharing content and 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 information that's like you know interesting and attractive to people all over the place and then um you know you've got this this warehouse in Guelph so do you have uh I mean I guess it's early days still but would you like to eventually you know try to work with with anyone elsewhere in Ontario or, or elsewhere in the country to kind of expand the model of the BIPOC outdoor gear library like beyond beyond Guelph? Uh, that's a, that's a question that we have started to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously you're catching us, as Dee said, really early days. Yeah. Um, you know, in a perfect world, there's a, a gear library in sort of every region and area and all folks have access to one. Um, at this point, I think our main focus is getting the Guelph BIPOC gear outdoor gear library up and running yeah so that we can um you know sort of test the model and and create the community and 
find where we think the priority areas and services are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I think as a team, we can talk about uh, what that means for our future plans. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think anything is ruled out, but uh, early days yet. Yeah. No, nothing is ruled out. And we, we were dreaming big from the beginning. So believe us when we say that it was a conversation around, well, this is the Guelph chapter and just you wait. Yeah. <laughs> but like Care said, you know, as long as we can work out the kinks first here. <laughs> we also all live in different cities. So oh, yeah. we'll start with the cities that we each live in or the towns we each live in. Yeah, of course. That makes sense. <laughs> Um, okay. And was there anything else before we move on to, um, talking about like your, cause I want to ask you all about your own, um, outdoor backgrounds and interests, um, as we kind of segue into a conversation about, um, stocking your gear closet and, and all of that. But was there anything else that you'd like to say about the, um, BIPOC outdoor gear library or anything else you wish I'd, I'd ask you? I think, Maybe I just want to loop back around to some of the things that have been mentioned already and just say that for me, um, there's a lot of joy and peace I find in the outdoors, Um, whether, pardon me, whether that's, you know, canoe tripping or hiking with friends or however I interact in outdoor settings. I tend to, that tends to be my time to refuel and recharge, uh, to reconnect with the people I'm with. Um, And that's a really, that's a really significant, valuable piece of my life. And, and I think that creating opportunities for people to have that joy is, is the thing that I'm really invested in. But beyond that, Lauren mentioned it earlier, it's about trying. One of the things that I think the BIPOC Outdoor Gear Library offers is the chance for everybody to try something new, to Mm -hmm. try and see if that's something that they really love and they want to pursue and, uh, you know, get better at the skills and uh, start to build their own uh, gear closet or, you know, get involved in some other significant way. And so um, that's one of the things that I I hope for this organization as we move forward is that it continues to be that thing that allows within a safe space and within a growing community of people who are like-minded and who also want to be trying and doing in outdoor spaces, that folks can come and uh, get access to that and try and see if they can't add that joy to their lives as well. Yeah. And I was going to say like, tag us. If you're part of, you know, a BIPOC community and you're doing something really cool outdoors, tag us. We would love to see it. Yeah. And your handle is, is BIPOC outdoor gear library. Yeah. 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 We're, we've been trying to profile, um, you know, community members on our social media. And part of the reason for that is just to kind of create that representation, introduce us all to each other and say like, hey, look, look at us having joy in the outdoors. Um, We want to make sure that that is a growing community. And so the more and more that we can reshare what everyone else is doing to connect with nature, the better. So that's a really good point, Lauren. 
that's that's awesome and and so um obviously you all have your own you know outdoor adventure backgrounds or interests so um could you kind of do you want to do you mind just like kind of going one by one and 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 just chatting about like yeah how you got into the the outdoors or 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 just like what your favorite um interests are like areas of expertise are uh when it comes to like you know outdoor adventuring I think everyone's I'll go, on mute. I'll go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> Everyone was on mute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um I I can certainly get us started. So I I was camping at a very early age. I had a lot of access to camping because of my mom primarily. Um I am mixed race. My mom's white, my dad's black. And while he did do a bit of camping and outdoor activities, it really was my mom who introduced my brother and I to it and brought us to practically every uh, Ontario provincial park uh, throughout the summer. And so we were doing car camping so much and running around, um, but we were probably one of the only black kids running around these campsites uh, most of the time. But that got me into the love of it. And then, again, you know, noting my privilege, we moved to a very rural part of southern Ontario where our property backed onto some conservation land. And so that meant that we were always in the woods and building forts and climbing trees and all sorts of stuff like that. So it made a lot of sense that the job that I had in my late, late teens, early 20s brought me to Algonquin Park where I mentioned that uh, backcountry camping became a great passion of mine um, and something that I've done every summer since, uh, primarily in the Algonquin area, but also venturing towards the Tomogamy um, area Ooh. lately as well. So yeah, that's kind of my experience. And then and I'll just say that I, like Caroline, just have a great love for nature and the outdoors bit of a spiritual connection almost. Um, and so that is where I find myself most at peace. Now that I have a dog, his name is Cedar. Mm. He's getting me outside a lot more. We'll go, we'll be going on hikes, you know, every other day. So um, I just, I keep finding more and more reasons to get outside uh, and we'll, we'll do it until I can't do it anymore. I feel that. <laughs> um, and oh yeah, Caroline. Yeah, I can go next. I think, D, you and I might have had uh, very similar upbringings. Uh, my my dad was a teacher, so during the summers, we would, you know, we'd go on these uh, amazing camping adventures. There are four kids in my family, and somehow my parents were brave enough to sort of pack us all up in a car and venture for weeks and weeks at a time out east you know to the east coast we'd Mm. camp our way out east and then back and out west and then back as well as tossing in on the other summers any and all of the provincial parks similar to Dee's experience Uh, I also then worked at the Portage store and at summer camps and and so enjoyed nature that way as well Um, So backcountry canoe camping is something that's really top of my list. It's one of my favorite pastimes, and my husband and I uh, tend to try and make it out on at least a few trips every year. 
Uh, beyond that, though, I've really gotten into through hiking as well. Um, so yes. backpack hiking trips. And this has been combined with my love of travel as well. And noting my privilege here as well in that I'm able to to sometimes go to really cool places and, you know, see that countryside or that area of the world by hiking it is one of the most amazing things because you just, you see it differently when you're mm-hmm. walking it. Um, so those are my kind of two areas uh, that I really love and I try and keep up with. Uh, I also, you know, try to get out skiing every year or skating or those types of things. But I think my two passions have got to be through hiking and canoe tripping. Woohoo! I definitely relate on the through hiking thing and the canoe tripping thing. I feel like if if you want to recreate outdoors in Ontario, you basically like it's a rite of passage to to go on at least one canoe trip. Um, and and Lauren, how about your background? Yeah. Um, so both my parents were really athletic outdoorsy people. Um, so I did some outdoor activity as a child, uh, but I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, full stop. Um, and so I developed my love of the outdoors later on in life um, as an adult after A, becoming chronically ill um, and having to slow down and learn more about my body and my needs and my identity. And at that time, I was really craving time outside and land connection. Um, so started to do a little bit more hiking um, and felt like just really inspired and actually very freed um, to spend more time outside. Um, and then after developing some really deep relationships uh, with folks um, in my community, in the queer community, in BIPOC communities um, who tripped a lot, that's when I just started to, to develop some of those, um, yeah, some of those different skills around camping and canoe trips. And um, I have a passion for winter hiking um, and I'm just creating a passion right now for sailing. Um, my mm. father sailed and was like a pretty awesome scuba diver. That's how my parents met. My another scuba diving instructor. So I'm also exploring that as well as like some other outdoor stuff like longboarding and BMXing. Um, so yeah, so oh. my love was not from childhood, <laughs> despite having some access. My um, love grew as an adult. And I also encourage folks to, to do that. If you tried it as a kid and you didn't like it, try it again. <laughs> I feel that. That's so relatable. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Excellent point. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, <clears throat> I don't know. I feel like your maybe your hand-eye coordination gets gets better as you get older to a certain extent because I couldn't get down the bunny hill on a snowboard as a kid and somehow was just, like, naturally better at it as a, as a person in my 20s. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think I would also add to that, though, that uh, I think – understanding about how things are done changes over time too. Mm. So I'll just take the example of backcountry canoe camping. One of the first I went on, I did not enjoy. <laughs> I was um, I was too cold. All of the gear was really heavy and I wasn't used to carrying it. And then the meals were these dehydrated, add mm. water meals that I just couldn't handle. Um, so it wasn't that enjoyable. Right. But as an adult, as I've sort of grown in my understanding and, you know, talk to all kinds of people who do things differently, you know, we have curries on trip and we have good, delicious food 
and we find ways that uh, increase the comfort. Obviously, you know, it's not going to be like sleeping in a in a giant king size bed or anything. But you know, there are tips and tricks and different ways of doing things that that can make it enjoyable. So really, really second Lauren's uh, comment there about try things again, try it in a different way, talk to different people. Yeah, care, even the way that you're talking right now, I guess two things come to mind. I we did a post recently, Megan, on sort of bringing those comforts and, and ways to make it fun. I think that there's sort of this weird mentality around backcountry camping or any type of outdoor activity, really, where you're supposed to suffer. (laughs) And I find that it really can be intimidating and quite a limiter for people to go out and try something, um, especially in their adult years. So I, I completely echo Karen's sentiment around try to find the things that are going to make it comfortable for you, if that's the food, if that's something around your sleeping, you know, maybe you are bringing a big pillow and it might not make sense to some people, but that's what you need in order to feel a bit more comfortable. But then the other thing Kara said around the food got me to thinking that, you know, part of the conversation we want to also have is showing up exactly the way that you are, not having to necessarily fit a mold or what, you know, people think that outdoor recreation looks like um yeah which has been very very much sort of molded and that story has been created by white people and so if your traditional cultural food is something that's going to make you comfortable then bring it um if you're playing music and it's the music that you love then bring it and play it and you know stuff like that that um i think that we've sort of gotten ourselves into thinking that camping hiking looks a certain way but I'd like to challenge that and I think it looks like however it needs to look like for you and that's part of also creating more welcoming spaces for people of color yes I'm here well for said. it yeah <laughs> and Lauren yeah and I was gonna say too like um the more you do it obviously the more skills you become and the more confident you become and like having fear around spending time outdoors is like very, very valid. Like I remember one of my first hiking trips in the mountains, I was so scared. Like I was like, okay, I'm going to die here. I'm going to die. Here. <laughs> um, and also I have a fear of heights. Like altitude is not something that I do well, but I do because I want to see the beautiful views. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember my first trip, I, my friend held my hand the whole time. Um, and so like part of this is also to like learning about how to care for people when you're outside and how to care for each other in the outdoors as like a necessary part of of doing that in a way that's like fun and safe and enjoyable for everybody yeah yeah I think that's a really important point especially um and you know like another guest on the show um that I've interviewed before uh Judy Kasiyama mentioned too you know like if if you are a white person and you're inviting, um, you know, your, your black indigenous or, or, or people of color, like friends out into the outdoors as you should be doing also make sure that they're, you know, that it's a safe space for them and, and, and that they're comfortable and they feel safe and they don't feel like they're around, you know, like people who are, who are going to question why they're there or, or, or that kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's uh, completely valid. I'm glad that Judy would have mentioned that because I have been 
in experiences where I've been camping with my white friends and they've brought a friend along who wasn't the most welcoming and had a lot of um, problematic opinions that made me feel really uncomfortable. To feel uncomfortable in any space um, obviously is not good, but particularly in something that I love, which is being in nature, um, that made it really difficult. So um, you, you as sort of white friends or family members need to, you have a responsibility to make sure that everyone who's there is feeling comfortable. And that includes your friends who are um, a person of color. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, And actually, sorry, before we continue, so I'm cognizant of the fact that um, I think we all kind of set aside like maybe an hour to an hour and a half for this. Um, And I haven't yet asked about, you know, stocking your gear closet. Um, Is is everybody okay to stay on for another half hour or so? Are there folks who need to to leave? Um, if so, like, is there anyone who is um, able to stay on? Uh, how are we feeling about the time right now? I can stay on. I can stay on as well. Yep, I can. I can stay on. Yep. Woo! Okay. Awesome. Um, all right. Well. Uh, so yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> I think we have established that. Oh, and Lauren, your hand is still up. Did you want to say something else? Um, Yeah, I also wanted to note that a lot of racialized communities have a lot of outdoor knowledge, Um, like Indigenous peoples, um, First Nation, Métis, Inuit people have lived on this land for like 15,000 plus years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so have a lot of traditional knowledge that are like that is land based. um, And that is really important to honor like those histories and legacies and also like the experiences of folks in the Canadian state, racialized people in the Canadian state might be very different than those who have like migrated to Canada and have like Mm -hmm. traditional or land knowledge Mm -hmm. um, from the places in which they've migrated from, from their homelands. Um, And that's also really important to to identify and and to honor and uh, understand that people are going to enjoy the outdoors differently depending on where those cultural and traditional knowledges come from. It's true, Lauren, just to add before you get to your second point, because a lot of people who've talked about kind of the way that they grew up, They'll talk about immigrant families who, you know, had a lot of access to nature and and had a, a really strong connection to nature, but coming to Canada, that sort of went away. Um, and there's lots of reasons for it, but I think it's really important to acknowledge that, uh, you know, connection with nature is not uniquely a, a white thing. <laughs> um, it's just, it's interesting in the Canadian state, like Lauren said, how it maybe gets redefined. Yeah. And I also wanted to note that um, part of this is also um, part of the barriers, I think, for racialized folks in, in Canada um, comes around like gatekeeping mm-hmm. of like re- of information around accessing outdoor space. Like sometimes when I've been outside in BC, for example, there are trails that a lot of the folks uh, that are local, um, a lot of the settler folks who are local have uh, access to that they don't want to share with folks that are either um Uh, living in BC that are racialized or folks that are traveling, for example, to BC um, for, you know, trips or tourism. And people are like, oh, well, I don't want to share that trail because that's Mm -hmm. like a trail that should only be used by locals. Or I don't want to share that trail because they have these like problematic perceptions that people of color will somehow uh, destroy or degrade the environment um, and will not actively share that information that they're sharing with their white counterparts or peers. Um, And so I think that um, being really open to people 
having the right to exist outside, um, in particular, Indigenous folks whose whose lands we're occupying, um, became yeah. a really important part of this conversation as well. So as I mentioned off the top, I've decided to split this interview into two episodes, which means we're ending pretty abruptly today. Don't worry, though. Tune in to next week's episode of Catch Me Outside for Dee, Caroline, and Lauren's advice on finding affordable gear and maintaining it to make it last. Cheers!